everybody. Today, um, Dan, we finally have someone who can talk to us dummies about AI. Yeah, I know. You've been going on about it for I've so long, ever since on. we first started this podcast. And I've been just yelling about AI and we don't have anybody uh, about AI and how I was so keen about learning AI. Professor Fabio, welcome Hi. to the show. How are you doing today? Very good. Very good? Yeah. Pleased um, to be here. Thank you so much for being here, taking out this time. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. Please, please ex explain to us dummies what AI is basically. Okay, it's um, it's a good question with a very long answer, and I'll try to do the best job sum to it up, explain yes. it. Yeah. You know, sum it up um, in a simple fashion. So, first of all, let, let's start from the basics, right? So, what people refer to as AI these days, it's vastly just one of the branches of AI. Hmm. It's called machine learning. Mm. Okay. And um, this is what everybody talks about, mm. and they refer to it as AI. But AI is a much broader. Uh, field than just machine learning. Mm -hmm. But machine learning itself is a branch of AI that uh, pretty much looks at a task um, and using data mostly, uh, it will try to get a machine or a piece of software to learn performing that task over time. You know, it gets trained mm -hmm. and it gets better and better in a way like we humans do, but a bit more like parrots do, mm -hmm. right? Um, in some sense, uh, the, the whole mechanism is you feed more and more data and the machine gets better and better, right? Mm. Um, now, the reason why I'm saying don't confuse machine learning with AI is that AI has other branches that um, haven't been in the news as much and haven't necessarily uh, developed as fast as machine learning. There's been lots of investment in machine learning, um, but they are equally important. Mm. And this mm. is important because it helps also conceptualize for people what things like ChatGPT can do versus what they cannot do. Mm. Right. So, for instance, one of the branches of AI is reasoning, um, and that has lots to do with the way that we humans conceptualize mm. reasoning. Mm -hmm. um, that field hasn't gone as far as machine learning, right? Mm. So, ChatGPT is really good at ingesting all the data on the internet, mm. spitting out text, uh, but not necessarily reasoning that well. Uh, now, of course, there have been lots of debates. Some people believe ChatGPT can reason. Um, I personally, uh, absolutely um, um, don't agree with that. Mm. Uh, ChatGPT cannot reason the way we do, mm. can't do what we call counterfactual reasoning. So, you know, being able to say that um, I look at some data and, and assess whether that's true or false, mm. um, like we humans do. Mm. Um, so, you know, um, th this is just to say that, you know, there's much more to AI than just machine learning, but machine mm. learning is what has caught, eye, uh, caught the eye of the public mm. because effectively machine learning has made gigantic strides. You know, mm. uh, for instance, we are actually now really good at recognizing faces mm. of people. Yes. Um, and, you know, th this was like a pipe dream until 10 years ago, right? Mm. So we, we made fantastic progress with machine learning, but there's much more than just machine learning mm. if we want to have real human level AI someday. Why would we want to have human level AI? It's a very good question. Um, so, yeah, it, it's I, I don't have an answer for that, right? So um, there are pros and cons in mm. all that. Um, one of the reasons, so my personal view, just as a disclaimer, right? Uh, my personal view of AI as a you know a practitioner and you know a researcher in AI is that AI 
should never replace humans, mm, right? Yes. So my view is very humanistic. Mm. I believe, you know, AI is your assistant, your, um, the term that is being coined by Microsoft is quite good, uh, co-pilot, mm. co-pilot. Um, right? It's a co-pilot. You're, you're doing something yeah. and then AI is by your side it as your back. It should be a tool to assist. Correct. Yeah. Like, and, a, and, like a yeah. mobile phone because, and also can I ask you to just keep it up this way? Because yeah. to, to us, it's going to sound okay, but when we listen to the recording, it just sounds like something, it's echoey. Sure. At the end. Thank you. Okay. So it's like a it's like a mobile phone, right? Because right now, the the term copilot. Right now, I can't function without a mobile phone. If you give me mm-hmm. an address for me to get there in an unknown city, it's physically impossible. Because yeah, right? Yeah, we're so dependent on our phone. Is that is that what Microsoft meant by copiloting? Is that what you meant by copiloting? Uh, to, to to some extent, um, without probably the uh, the bad bits. So the, the, there are good parts in your phone being your assistant. There mm-hmm. are very bad parts <laughs> in yeah. your phone um, creating codependency, True. Uh, mm-hmm. pretty much, right? And so the, the big question, going back to your fundamental question, do we want to have human-level AI, right, is can we have a good co-pilot, mm-hmm. right, uh, without the bad bits? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's a very difficult um, question to answer right now uh, because... Well, at the moment, uh, we have lots of unintended effects mm. uh, of AI already. So, mm. you know, people are panicking about, oh, AI is going to take over superhuman level, you know, mm. it's the nuke or something like that. That, that. That's all misguided. It's, you know, vastly people want to be in the press and, you know, want to hype, mm. um, you know, this AI or that other AI tool or whatever. It's always a human thing to create a bit of a panic, a bit of a drama Correct. as well, right? Correct. So I, I really like people to concentrate on a balanced view of things. Mm-hmm. So, of course, there are risks, uh, but the risks that are there are not necessarily that AI is going to take over, it's a mm-hmm. Terminator, or it's a nuclear bomb or anything, is that already the stuff that we do on a daily basis can have unintended consequences. And it doesn't mm-hmm. need to be smart, right? So machine learning tools already assess your applications for a loan, mm-hmm. okay? So if that thing is not built right, mm-hmm. you won't get a loan. True. Okay. And that doesn't require AI to be smart. It's Mm. just ingesting data, Mm. spitting out a response. Okay. Statistics on, you know, on steroids to some extent um, doesn't need to be human level smart. Now, of course, uh, that's one thing. If one day we want, um, uh, I don't know if you watch the um, Apple presentation of, you know, the new goggles, right? The headset, the Vision Pro, right? if one day we want personal assistant, you know, in your glasses that does stuff for you and, you know, helps you in your daily work and more creative endeavors, of course, we need human level AI, right? Mm. Um, but already without going there, which is the future, um, there might be unintended consequences, right? And that's what people need to concentrate mm. on. What do we have now mm. that is already right. potentially a problem? I mean, you would have seen uh, the war in Ukraine. Um, mm. There are already killer drones on both sides that are shooting down things, killing humans uh, using machine learning. So mm. uh, it's not the nuances. <laughs> there are already. Yeah. <laughs> so do do you think we're moving too quickly with the development of artificial intelligence? Uh, it, it's been really interesting. <clears throat> so <clears throat> the development of AI um, has gone through multiple cycles and. Uh, there was a cycle called an AI winter mm. uh, when 
uh, at some point in time, we thought we'd have massive improvements, but then we didn't. And then some papers came out with negative results. So AI went almost dormant. That's why AI winter. And then what happened at some point in time, late 80s, um, mid until mid 90s, some theoretical improvements were made, which then coming into the 2000, uh, because of the increase of uh, computing capabilities on, on the GPUs, mm. so the graphics cards, the power games, ironically, um, those GPUs allowed those algorithms mm. um, to uh, scale up those, um, um, those um, you know, improvements in mm. the algorithms, the, the so-called neural networks that you would have heard about. Uh, another term you might have heard is deep learning, mm. right? So deep learning refers to the fact that you have a neural networks, which is mathematical model of a brain, loosely speaking, and there are multiple layers in this neural network, right? Um, which mimics the brain, right? Multiple neurons stack up together mm. and Deep learning refers to the fact that I have many, many layers. And the fact that I have many layers allows me strange kind of intuitive result to scale up my uh, results. So it gets mm. more and more complex. Because it's much deeper, of course. It's much deeper. Mm. Well, uh, the f of course, it's not an obvious thing, right? Because there are other mathematical models where complexifying the model doesn't make it necessarily more powerful. Mm. Uh, but, you know, we realized that that was the case. Um, this also has unintended consequences, once again. Um, it's really hard to interpret mm. what the neural network is doing because there are all those many layers and, you know, very complex mathematical operations. Mm. Even someone like me who, who's been deep into this for a long time, yeah, we start stacking those neural network layers and sometimes we don't quite know what's going on. Um, so this is quite dangerous <laughs> as well. Um, so we have an yeah. intuition. Mm. Um, so anyway, the, those... Uh, improvements came about in the sort of early to uh, 2000s and then the 2010s. Mm. And then we've had a massive acceleration. So machine learning yeah, has I, boomed. I guess it sort of, on the looking on the outside, it feels like it sort of happened overnight. Whereas, yeah, but it hasn't. Yeah, but you know, it has been decades yeah. and decades and, you know, going up and down and, you know, twists and turns. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and at some point in time, People might laugh about this, but um, at some point in time, people thought uh, artificial intelligence was dead. Mm. <laughs> That's what people thought uh, yeah. in computer science. So it's it's kind of ironic yeah. that we're here now. <laughs> would, would there be an off switch if it got too much? I I don't know that you can. Um, I think the the cat is definitely out of the yeah. bag. Mm. Um, it, it's a little bit like when physicists. Um, came up with nuclear fusion and fission and, mm -hmm. you know, the atomic bomb. Can you put it back? No. At a certain I point, can't. there's a point of no return. There's no, no so, return. Yeah. You're saying there's no kill switch? Um, I don't think so. Um, I mean, you would have seen there's been discussions about petitions and slowing down. I, I find that a little bit silly. Um, you, you can't slow down research. Mm. Uh, you, you can definitely, what, what we should do is regulate. Mm. Uh, the application of that research, yes. Mm. Absolutely. That depends who has the power to regulate. Because Correct. the people who Correct. already have power have been fucking up for a very long time um, in most things. And, well, how does AI and gaming, does they, do they go hand in hand? Mm. So AI and games have um, <laughs> a very interesting relationship. Um, so uh, the, the, the history of AI is very intertwined with games. Um, some of the early breakthroughs of AI, um, you might recall this or maybe not, but um, came about when AI showed 
uh, IBM showed that um, they could be the world champion in chess. Um, mm. And some of the um, original AI algorithms were really playing around with more games. Um, but then, of course, over time, that has moved into computer games as well. So that's my uh, specific expertise originally, mm. you know, AI and computer games. Computer games yeah. <clears throat> so I, I know quite a bit about this. And it, there's also another level of relationship in that um, the, the scaling up of AI and this machine learning boom actually happened because of the graphics cards that power games as well, mm. the GPUs. Yeah, because so, we had more power now or, yes. or the capability to process information quickly. Correct. So ironically, the same mathematics that uh, power the graphics running the games are similar to the mathematics that power neural networks. Yeah. So um, it, it's very similar continuous mathematics that power both. And so um, these people working on deep learning realize, oh, wait a minute, I can make uh, the neural network algorithms run on a graphics card, and that's much faster than running it on a normal CPU. And so that was a breakthrough. Did you, did you play around with the idea of quantum computing? Not, not as much. Um, so I, I haven't really dug really deep. It's, it's very early on. Um, mm -hmm. I have colleagues at RMIT, uh, they are physicists, obviously, who play around much more with that. Um, I, I think, <clears throat> sorry, I think um, um, we were a bit early in the curve. There are some people who are really excited in computer science. I'm not, to be honest, one of those. Um, I'm much more excited about the prospects of how AI um, is going to converge with all this talk about spatial computing and uh, things like that. So that that's much more my space uh, than quantum computing. What are the uses of AI in aerospace then? So there's there's quite a bit of uh, work there. In fact, I'm doing much more work with colleagues in aerospace now. Um, lots of the work is really aimed at uh, real-time control of real -time planes. Real-time control of planes. And, and drones and et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, all those... Like tra air traffic control? That too. Yeah, so okay. so th there's many different oh, uses. Because right now humans are doing air traffic control. Correct. They are mm. prone to make mistakes. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. one upcoming project that I cannot talk too much about because we haven't quite finalized exactly mm. what it's going to be, but we, we are discussing with this very large company that runs the vast majority of the air traffic control places mm. in the world. Um, so people who are in the field probably know who I'm talking about. Um, they, they've approached us about ideas around how we can, yeah, create a co-pilot for, for air traffic control uh, in a way. Uh, not necessarily full replacement, mm. but, you know, machine that sits by the side of the air traffic controller mm. and um, somewhat helps uh, reduce the cognitive load of the air traffic controller. Because most of the time air traffic controllers, it, it was really... Uh, educational for me to hear from them mm. how they work um, most of the time it's quite dull there's not much going on but then when a peak comes mm. it's insane yeah so what they told us they do really scare me did, yes. <laughs> I, I gotta say they, they have to make a call on and maybe there's 20 planes in the same pocket of airspace it's crazy how they managed to even do that mm. um so actually having a co-pilot there that can help you prioritize what's going on and go, okay, forget about this, concentrate on that, focus on that instead, et cetera. 
uh, would be really interesting. Do you think the AI co-pilot would be able to make better, quicker decisions than a human would, who has much more experience than AI? Because uh, AI technically would have, would have 10 times the data a human would. Mm-hmm. And would they be able to make a quicker decision? Yeah, yeah, certainly quicker, better remains to be seen, right? So that, that was the kind of discussion point uh, when we started discussing this potential project. Yeah, certainly faster and um, potentially better on average. Um, whether, you know, the, the, the issue is, you know, those very tricky boundary cases, mm. you know, would we be able to source enough data um, to be able to, you know, get through some very thorny, uh, tricky cases. Mm. Um, and so that that's where the idea, and, you know, I'll leave it at that, but the idea is to actually build a simulator that can somewhat generate Ooh. synthetic data to then train the machine, machine in yes. very weird, you know, because out there cases. Technically, right? you would want to put that system, that co-pilot, into difficult situations where Correct. it can perform and can gain, gain data from it. Wow, yeah, 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 yeah. So we, we have experience doing that where we've had um, another project that, in fact, started one week before COVID uh, and then ended in uh, beginning of 2022 where we work with a multinational defense mm. company and we built this big simulator to generate data to train vehicles in simulation. Mm. So we just use the simulator, imagine all those off-road environments, we generate a lot of those and then fully in simulation we generate you know sensory data out of those scenarios, so video, audio, um, you know, accelerometer, gyroscope, and lidars, and so on, and all this data goes to machine learning algorithms that then train the real vehicle. So, because capturing real data is very expensive, right? Mm. You got to sit there and go around with your Google car, Google and car <laughs> with the massive camera on the top. Yeah, and then sometimes you also have to annotate that data by hand, which mm. is very expensive. Whereas, you know, if you have a simulator, that all comes out the box press the bottom bang right there could be potential application for ai in automated driving as well have you played around with tesla yet um not not really but uh as i said this project we had is very much that except Mm. tesla um, mostly works in um, urban environment right so they're interested in normal roads that's machine learning right basically Pretty much, pretty much. Um, they, they've been working a lot on, yeah, the, the same sort of machine learning um, branch that I work in. It's called reinforcement learning. Hmm. Um, it's a branch of machine learning where um, you learn in an interactive fashion. So rather than being fed data and then spitting out a solution, mm-hmm. yeah. you have continuous interaction with the environment. <clears throat> and then the environment tells you whether you're doing something right or wrong. Uh, more or less how our brain works. That and based a on that, it makes so- decisions. Correct, ah, yeah. correct. So um, the, the the whole idea is that you're rewarded for good or bad actions. So for a car, uh, you know, bumping into a mm. wall is a bad thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're going to be discouraged from doing that. Um, so Whereas, you know, staying alive on the road is a good thing. So you keep being reinforced positively for that. Do you think AI would be able to make a decision? So let's say you're in a situation where there's 
a child on the road and there's a wall on the left. Mm -hmm. If I'm driving, I would rather smash into the wall and hit myself than that child because that's my moral and that's my mm -hmm. moral compass. How would AI perform in that? Yeah, so th this is a typical question. Um, <laughs> like a moral question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah this is a typical <laughs> question. Um, I think so there's a couple of disclaimers with that. Um, but pragmatically, if, if you were to approach that problem and solve that problem, uh, it'd be down to the fact that effectively you would engineer, again, a reward mechanism there to say this is how, what you're going to prioritize. Um, at the end of the day, that's what we have in our brain anyway, right? So you could engineer something like that. Now, the reality is when you think about us as humans, yeah, you might say this to me, but when you are in that situation, you yeah. might make a snap a decision, decision that is yes. catastrophic, yes. right? And it's not, a, not at all what you just told me, mm -hmm. right? So that's why I find the discussion about autonomous cars and, and this very problem particularly um, to, to be quite unfair. Uh, because humans very often don't make rational decisions. Yes. Yeah, we're making, mm. we're saying we're making rational decisions. Now here we're very relaxed, <coughs> we're chilling sure. you're right. <laughs> yeah. on a podcast. But then when you are Actually there, there and you got to make a snap decision, mm. you might kill everybody mm. because you're not able to react because you're distracted because r really you panic. Yes. You, you didn't have enough sleep or whatever it is. Like mm -hmm. there could be gazillion variables in that Correct. situation. Correct. So it's it's a very theoretical, philosophical problem. It, it's not practical. It, it doesn't help um, to, to solve anything, to be honest, as far as I'm concerned. Do you think AI would be able to sort of, through algorithms, predict future events? Not future, mm. but future events. Possibil possibilities. Possibilities. Yes. Volcanoes, earthquakes, oh, tsunamis. Yeah, I think they're doing it. It's sort of yeah, they're already yeah, doing yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's basically, mm. um, I mean, we're caveats, of course, but, mm. but that's a lot of what um, machine learning algorithms do uh, these days on a whole range of things. Uh, of course, you know, environmental applications, but also forecasting of you know financial markets whatever mm. right uh, pretty much Ooh. anything the 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 downside there is that of course the vast majority of those algorithms what can they do well they can ingest data mm. and they can go by the history that they have um they can't predict the gfc probably what's gfc <laughs> uh, the uh, the global financial crisis right oh. so that was you know out of the blue um in a sense so there was really no precedent for it. Um, mm. So it, it's hard to predict these things. Um, but, you know, they do a pretty good job at predicting a lot of things already. And, and that's how, you know, lots of those, um, you know, tools for assessing, you know, mortgage applications, whatever work, that's right? True. So they have uh, pretty good historical data mm. um, and they can spit out a pretty reasonable answer to that if, if your data set is balanced and, uh, you know, it's not too biased, et cetera, mm. et cetera. Um, so you can do that to some extent. Um, of course, with caveats or which data you have, that's mm. always the caveat. How precise then you think right now, ChatGPT three we're using, right, three point five? Mm -hmm. How precise? Well, how accurate do you think it is? Because I've realized some people have said that it make it, it may make mistakes, maybe some spellings or whatever it is. How accurate do you think that mm. is? So first of all, if if um, uh, you are using um, 
the Microsoft Edge browser, you can mm. use uh, essentially a version of ChatGPT4. Okay, so that's already there. Um, but even GPT4. Um, so in terms of the text that it will surface, it's actually very accurate. Um, the issue, the main issue with it, uh, which has improved with GPT-4, but it's still not quite there, mm. is an issue that people refer to as uh, hallucination, right? Um, so because JGPT can't really reason, mm. but it summarizes a lot of information yes. and then it tries to find, okay, the way that it works is this. Uh, it, it will look at the history of all the text that, that's been ingested mm -hmm. on the internet and many other data sets. And if you put in some text, it will spit out the most likely answer to that. It's a probabilistic model mm. that will predict what words should come after which words. Mm. Okay? It's it's a smart parrot, mm. uh, we say. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah. So oh, because God. of that, it doesn't really have deep reasoning abilities mm. like we do or yeah. counterfactual reasoning abilities so what it could do is this right imagine that we ask chat gpt hypothetical um as fabio ever worked with dan and herman right it might hallucinate and concoct something about me something mm. about you mm. mesh it up and say that you know someday um we actually um you know chatted on a podcast you know mm. two years ago because it's the most likely thing to spit out because you guys have had many podcasts. Mm. I've given many interviews. So it'd be quite likely right. to say that I've come on a podcast with you guys a mm. couple of years ago. Mm. Um, and, and we literally done this a bit. Um, you know, we tested it. And yeah, it's it's really easy to find a paper that I've written with someone else that I've never written a paper with. Mm. <laughs> yes. yeah. Because it tries to just mesh the it probability. up. Probability. Yeah. yeah. True, yeah. Because there's been shit tons of uh, podcasts with Joe Rogan interviewing, yep. uh, you know, other people who don't even exist right now. And like, that's the most probable data. Correct. Well, Correct. that's very dangerous. It uh, is. It is. And what do you, how do you think it is dangerous? That What dangers does it cost? Well, it's, it's basically fake news, essentially, right? Mm. Uh, and if you think about bad actors... Um, want to generate and uh, fake news and uh, stir the public mm. uh, you could use that intentionally to um, to create counter information misinformation and and all that you would have seen I mean you can do that with text you can do that with visual uh, you would mid have journey seen, yeah mid journey mm. right you would have seen the infamous uh, Pope oh, wearing I that was jacket really thinking about that yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so that's crazy or or um, Donald Trump being oh, manhandled being, by yeah, the police. Yeah, being tackled yes. by the police, yeah. What, what do you think of um, the deep fake technology? Oh, that's that's crazy. Again, they, this is, we're victim of our success, right? Mm. You know, computer vision and um, machine learning have advanced so much that we can synthetically generate a lot of stuff that was unthinkable um, at a quality that it is pretty much near undistinguishable at, at a human eye. Certainly mm. not an expert human eye now, mm. but it'll probably be undistinguishable by anybody at some mm. point in time. Um, so, so some of the people working on those generative uh, AI algorithms are already thinking about mechanisms to pretty much put um, almost um, a watermark 
in the mm. data to be able to say this is synthetic. So mm. there is work and Adobe has been working on similar things and so on. But realistically, I think, again, cat is out of the bag. Mm. I think where we're heading is a future where, uh, you know, audio and, um, you know, video evidence are nothing. I, right. I think it scares a lot of creatives out there. Yes, it does. Um, I mean, there's a big writer strike happening in America right now. Yeah. Um, do you think we'll get to the point where you, me, Harmon are sort of writing our own uh, movies and TV shows with any actors <laughs> or any storylines that could ever be imagined? Yeah. So I don't think so. Mm. Um, I think the point where it's going to get um, is a point where, again, oh, I mean, it's my hope, but it's also hopefully informed prediction. Um, it is, again, these tools will be co-pilots. So uh, what's going to happen is the uh, machine is going to get better and better at creating templates mm. for a writer. Mm -hmm. And then the writer is going to go mm -hmm. in and mesh them up into um, a proper, uh, you know, uh, very interesting plot and, you know, um, just uh, delineate the characters better and so mm. on. So it, it will hopefully eliminate some of the grunt work. Yeah. Um, and, and this already happens for other things. Mm. Um, you know, even software engineers <laughs> like myself, right, um, programmers, uh, we can use uh, GitHub Copilot mm. and that generates um, templates of code. We go in, we mesh them up and we're faster. Mm. Um, so it's not it's not a bad thing, but I understand the mm. fear, certainly. I mean, you would have heard another thing that was pretty scary was this, uh, you know, in the sound domain, uh, this AI model uh, pretty much generating a Jay-Z song that doesn't exist. Mm. Right? Yes, <laughs> Jay-Z. Um, I heard it was pretty song. crazy of Biggie singing with Nas's lyrics. Yeah, correct. And it was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was, yeah, that's right. Uh, it, actually, there was a song um, where they, so <laughs> Nas was dissing Jay-Z on Jay that song. Yes. Mm. They had um, Jay-Z diss himself. Oh, it Jesus Aether. Christ. So <laughs> it was oh, crazy. Man. Yeah, but uh, I mean, Again, what do you do with that, mm. All right? So th there's two sides to it. It's a matter of how you utilize. Correct. One is how you utilize it. And then the other thing, and, and in this, I absolutely back up all the creatives out there. And, and mm. full disclaimer, the vast majority of my academic career has been as a computer scientist work with creatives, mm -hmm. yes. designers, artists, mm. and so on. So I have lots of sympathy. Um, the other side is some of these tools have to be regulated. So, you know, creatives have got the right to get their own IP paid for and, and so on, right? Mm. It, it's not right for AI algorithms to ingest, you know, art mm. and not pay for it right? yeah. and so on and so forth, right? Yeah. So it'd be crap if, you know, you could create Jay-Z songs and Jay-Z doesn't get a royalty for that. Mm. So, yeah. And on that, if you have an entrepreneurial mindset, mm -hmm. there's going to be a very big market for verification like Absolutely, the verification yes. market is going to be massive. Like imagine yeah. if you could, let's say, lack of words, blue tick an audio file, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? Absolutely. And it's going to be a massive market for that. Um, how do you think that would be possible with pictures? Because pictures, I think you can put watermarks in it. How do you think that would work with audio or um, video or visuals? Um, yeah, it's, it's a very technical thing. Um, so it's not 
the, the most exciting topic to talk about. But yeah, there, there are ways. At the end of the day, um, pretty much um, anything, any piece of content you treat, audio, video, image, whatever, is a signal um, and um, in a physical sense. And so it's a waveform of some sort uh, in audio terms, but uh, it's something similar for, for video or mm. um, uh, for, for an image. And so because of that, you can embed specific patterns uh, in that signal that you can detect. And uh, Adobe, it's kind of ironic, uh, they published a paper a few uh, days ago uh, where they actually <laughs> showed how they can detect manipulation by Photoshop in an image. Right. Wow. <laughs> so you can do that. that because, are, it's very technical, but you can. Yeah, because if you Photoshop an image, which I do use as well, mm -hmm. um, there's going to be millions of pixel, pixels. Yes. And before Mid Journey or before AI, I couldn't create new pixels in an image. It's not. It wasn't. No, that's right. right. It was impossible. It yeah. was impossible to create mm. new pixels. So because yeah. I, if I'm editing, so let's say if I'm editing my hand out, I couldn't can't create new pixels, and it was impossible. Correct. Now I can. Now it is absolutely. Mm. I mean, yeah. There's um, there's a really interesting algorithm that has came out uh, a few days ago, where you can literally um, say you have this picture of a dog, mm. and there's a few points on the face of the dog that you can drag and drop and by dragging and dropping you transform it into a different dog different dog yes yeah, just like that mm -hmm. and, and everything else in the background of the image is filled in correctly right mm -hmm. so yeah we, we made incredible strides but going back to your question before so pretty much what it is is detecting specific patterns mm. uh, in that image or um, audio or video at the end of the day and not a synthetic uh, manipulation leaves a trace. Um, and you could even do that. So if we started regulating this, we could intentionally regulate the AI model to leave the trace there so that mm. out of the box, we know this is synthetic. synthetic and this is natural. Correct. True. Um, it's a very fascinating area, but <laughs> it it, it's going to be the far west for a little bit. Yeah. When we were starting this podcast, uh, Harmon was showing me some artificially generated, uh, no, text, a summary of the podcast. And yeah. I approached it with a writer's brain. I could immediately tell that was done yeah. by AI because there is a certain mm. human element or soul, if you were still yes. missing from that written text that AI could generate. Mm -hmm. Right and, now, uh, ChatGPT for me is my thinking buddy. Mm. And like it's, a, it's, a it's a tool. It's a tool right to, there to help. What do you think the potential um, floodgates they've opened for normal public versus what they have for military and what they're hiding? Can you talk about that? Do you realize that? Mm, uh, it, it, it's hard to know what they're really talking about, um, you know, for the military because it's, it's very secretive. Mm, of course. Um, but obviously, I mean, what we see with ChatGPT and things like that is is the very public eye uh, of all that. You know, machine learning technology, as I said, is being used by the military forevermore. That's true. Right. So, in fact, some of the military have been ahead of the curve always. Um, and you just don't know they have. Um, and so, again, working in defense to some extent, we, we get to see some things and, and, and whatnot. But just to give you 
a little bit of perspective. Um, so the, the um, field of computer graphics, uh, which you know has given us games and mm. uh, the the simulations we use and you know the Pixar movies and and all that, that basically started with military research, right? Many many decades ago, uh, Ivan Sutherland. It was one of the sort of forefathers of computer graphics, and uh, he uh, pretty much uh, invented augmented reality in a sense, uh, uh, the first augmented reality device. He did this work many decades ago that was essentially the first uh, flight simulator. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, essentially created computer graphics when computer graphics didn't exist uh, before. Uh, and so... The military are usually way ahead of the pack in in some respects. In some other respects, they're very slow uh, for for other reasons because of security concerns and and so on. So it's all, you know, it's hard to say, you know, military is ahead of the pack overall, but there are uses that are way ahead of anything else. Um, Now, having said that, um, you know, it's pretty clear that even just what we see in the public, Mm has opened many floodgates. Um, so obviously, as I said, these tools will be here to stay in terms of, you know, being something that we will use. It, it's um, pretty obvious. Um, and then uh, the other thing, and this is really the, the, the scare in the floodgates, um, you know, unintended uses will start to happen, are starting to happen. Um, like- people will start using these things, bad actors for... for you know, um, uh, generating fake news or generating fake uh, visuals, fake audio, right? Uh, this JC song. Fake this, news that will tank the stocks? Possibly. Potentially. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, yeah, we, we have to be prepared for all this. That That's what might happen. I mean, some of the um, cyberpunk literature, sci-fi cyberpunk literature was talking about things like that many, many decades ago in, in the 90s. So, yeah, it, it's here. We've, we've talked enough about AI. We will talk more, but let's let's dive into something interesting. You're into gaming as well. Like, yes. you're a developer. Talk to us about gaming. How did you get into that? And Yeah, so um, I did uh, my PhD uh, back in Italy. So I was born in Italy. Mm-hmm. I, um, I lived um, there until I was 27. Um, uh, I did computer science over there and a PhD in AI on uh, the topic of um, uh, embodied conversational agents. So these 3D personas that you can talk to, et cetera. So, you know, I did that work in that space about, um, oh, it's now almost 20 years ago. Um, Mm. How did you know that you were going to do that? Like what motivated you to pursue Mm. AI? Um, So I, I always pursued this space between AI, computer graphics, and, um, you know, um, augmented and virtual reality. So all that very cross-disciplinary mm-hmm. space um, where, again, lots of art and design also It's all come interconnected. In. Mm-hmm. It's all interconnected. Yeah, it's yeah. very cross-disciplinary. Um, it was a combination of things. Um, I guess I grew up in a family where my late father was um, a very sort of humanistic person so we had this view that you know studying hard was really important mm-hmm. but studying across the board you'd have to be good at maths but also it was very much a word person it used to write it used to be a mm-hmm. good uh, hobby photographer mm-hmm. so I was exposed mm-hmm. to very different mm-hmm. things um, 
And then growing up, um, I, you know, my generation was fascinated with Star Trek and, uh, you know, all that sci-fi. And so that sort of, yeah, came together. And um, uh, when I was, I think, six, seven, my parents said, okay, you know, the whole family wants to give you a gift. Um, you know, would you like a bike or would you like a computer? Mm. <laughs> of course, I picked the computer. Yeah, right, it was yeah. a Commodore VIC-20. Wow. And, and, you know, basically the rest is history. And yeah. one of my cousins as well, so there was a big influence. One of my cousins was studying electronics. Um, and so I, I, when I would go to his house, he'd have all those, you know, like hacking projects where he was hooking up yes. uh, computers to these very weird, 80s electronic boards and switching Mm. on you know appliances and doing crazy stuff and so i thought oh this is really cool so that's pretty much how it came about and then pretty much uh took up from that i i went to learn making games and i never really worked very long in the games industry Mm. i i worked primarily when i was in italy as a consultant Mm. so i became really really good at uh writing I, I specialized in computer science and applied mathematics. So I, I learned to be really good at writing numerical algorithms that can run fast on computers. Mm. Um, and so I did lots of consultancy for computer graphics uh, companies or game companies on specific tools mm. or algorithms, optimizing things. Um, I also spinned up uh, a company uh, that was working on e-commerce back in days around 2000 uh, with two of my profs uh, back in Italy. And then pretty much what happened is because I had all that expertise, the job at RMIT came up um, and they needed a lecturer to lecture about games programming. I was that person I came about and I never left RMIT. I've stayed there and sort of climbed up the ranks Mm. and become professor eventually. And now I run the AI group. Do you enjoy the teaching part? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I enjoy it. Uh, I don't do much of it anymore because I manage people mm. <laughs> a lot these days. I manage a whole group. But, yeah, I still teach a little. So I'll teach some in September and October. Um, mostly, um, yeah, that, that's a fundamental programming course. Um, but we get the kids to uh, mess around with Minecraft. So yes. I'm not they're far off my origins <laughs> um so yeah we teach them um, lots of uh, programming concepts by doing that in minecraft environments how, let me ask you this how big is psychology in terms of game mm. developing because i think as you said it's all into the interdimensional and they're all interconnected how big is psychology and how does one make video games interesting? Because I'm guessing there has to be a story behind it, right? Lots of lots of psychology goes behind it, making it interesting and making it engaging. Yeah, so not all great games have a story behind it. Mm. There's lots of absolutely great games that have no story behind mm-hmm. it or just a very loose backstory. Think about Super Mario. Or even like PUBG or something. It's yeah. just like a, you know, yeah. player games. Or Tetris, right? Yeah. There's no story behind it. I mean, sure. yeah, there's a very loose backstory, but you just need not something a story. to get engaged. You just yeah. need some sort of hook. It or, doesn't necessarily have to be a great outline for a video game. Correct. So, and, and you know, there's there are very different <clears throat> genres of video games, and mm. there are games that are narrative heavy, mm. um, and, and those are much more like a movie production. Yeah. Right? So true. you know, Makes think sense. about the the latest. Um, I was playing last night. Uh, with my daughter, this latest um, Harry Potter uh, oh, game that yes. has come out, Hogwarts mm. Legacy. 
So, you know, that is an example of something that is very narrative heavy. Story but driven. Story driven. Even um, God of War. I love God of War. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there are many of those, right? But yeah. there are many games that don't really go down that path. They're very much about having a cool mechanic that you can come back to and keep playing and playing. Mario Kart, right? It's family fun. Mm. We all start messing around um, on the on the Switch. And, and that's good enough. So psychology, obviously, plays a big role mm. um, in distilling... Uh, the understanding of what motivates us uh, to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and lots of that research has sort of permeated game design, mm. becoming its own field now uh, as game design research. Um, that There are some theories in psychology in particular that uh, have been, um, you know, quite key in, the, in that respect. So there's a so-called theory of flow. Uh, um, I'm not going to pronounce the name of the person who came up with that because it's impossible for me. (laughs) Russian guy with look it up, up, please. Uh, Impossible name. I I tried 20 years, but I can't. Um, But yeah, the theory of flow is this very interesting concept where essentially it's not just games, but it it applies really well to games. Mm. Is the idea that you're going to take on a task and uh, taking on that task needs to happen at the level of complexity and difficulty that challenge you enough, but it's not too hard. Oh. So you find that kind of sweet spot right. where you have the push to you know, through, keep, trying, keep trying, but mm-hmm. you're not demotivated it's not that it's too hard. Yes. Correct. Oh. And so it's a very tricky, you know, <clears throat> sweet spot. And, you know, Devil is in the details, right? Mm. Because depending upon how you calibrate things, you yes. might hit the flow or not. Yeah. But you might have had this experience, even you guys, right, doing mm. your podcast. When you do it, you're so immersed in it. Mm. You know, there might be tricky moments, right? But by and large, you're so immersed in it. You keep doing it. You love it. Mm. And you keep pushing through, right? Yes. Um, mm. That applies to work, to games, but games particularly sport, mm. right? You, you pretty see much a sport every, person, any, right? Yeah. World, yeah. When they flow, they're on a roll, mm. they're unstoppable in a game, right? That's what happens. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's lots of psychology. And um, I'm actually working quite a bit these days with my colleagues in psychology um, in lots of uh, virtual reality work. Um, yeah, we're, we're trying to study uh, lots of the aspects of human cognition that go into augmented and virtual reality, reality experiences. Yeah. yeah. What are the new trends that are exciting you these days in AR, VR, or even gaming? Um, so, obviously, I mean, again, going back to this Apple <clears throat> presentation of the Vision Pro and, uh, you know, Meta presented their uh, Quest 3 and so on. So, we're still going through a cycle of augmented and virtual reality, trying to come to mass market, but not quite. Uh, still playing around with that, but there are some aspects that are already relatively mass market mm. but not others do you think it's a game changer that apple vision pro yes and no mm. um so it's a complex uh answer um there are some really good aspects um apple being apple they really good at not necessarily coming with new things but perfecting things that mm. others have done so you know lots of the research that microsoft has done with hololens and mate has been doing with the quest mm. Uh, they took notes of that and they seem to have perfected uh, quite well uh, the gesture-based interface. So one aspect that is pretty clear in that promotional video is that um, the person using the headset 
uh, they sit on the couch and uh, they use gestures that are very compact um, and they don't have to raise their hands much, mm-hmm. uh, which is a really big problem uh, with uh, augmented and virtual reality headsets because if you keep your arms raised for a long time, um, you know, you end up, you know, being strained. Mm. Uh, we call this the gorilla arm problem, right? Because mm. gorillas, you know, are very sturdy and they can mm-hmm. keep the arms up. But as humans, we have evolved not to be able to do that as Lactic well. Lactic acid builds up and we get tired. Pretty much. Mm. Um, so they, they figured it out and it sounds like, um, you know, the cameras that are on the headset point down. Uh, so you can keep your hands in your lap oh, and it still works. So it's a very clever uh, consideration. And of course, you know, they do the uh, user interface really nicely. Apple has history of that. Um, but the thing that I was disappointed about is that lots of what they showed um, was primarily 2D use cases. So projecting uh, flat things in space like it's a monitor. Um mm. That's not really that interesting to me anyway. Um, what I'd really like to see more and more of is storytelling experiences that live in your space uh, to some extent. So a great example of that is an old game, 2016, um, that uh, very few people in the world would have seen because it only runs on Microsoft HoloLens. Yeah. Um, it's called Fragments. Um, you know, look it up on YouTube, you'll oh. see. Um very interesting proposition. It's a CSI game, okay? The really cool thing about that is that you play the role of, a, of an FBI agent, let's say, and other characters will talk to you, but mm. because the HoloLens can map your room, uh, some of the characters might sit on your couch and, and be right. looking at you, right? And then what happens is the main mechanic of the game is devising um, the clues in a uh, in a series of crime scenes. Mm. Now, the crime scene is actually superimposed to your room. Mm. And so what might happen is some of the clues might be behind your furniture. Right. And so you go scouting in your living room and you need to find wow. the clues. So that's the sort of experience that I'd like to see yeah. uh, with those headsets. Yeah. It's actually bringing... Netflix in your living yeah, room, yeah. quite literally. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the next gen. That. Not yes. just stepping into an, another world, as it were, but actually bringing the world to you. In, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. That's fascinating. Yeah. So, so when we get to that point, <clears throat> is where we're really going to hit the next gen. Mm. Um, we, we are on the fringes of that. We, we're sort of playing around with concepts around it. Uh, but I guess. You know, uh, Apple said they have a partnership uh, coming up with um, Disney. Mm. Um, so wow. they might have you something like something. that at some point in time. I don't know. It, there's also questions about how powerful the device really is mm. because, of course, that's a demo. Demo is your stage. Um, so mm. we don't know. Beginning stages of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't know how, how the device actually functions. So I, I want to... You know, I, I usually say when they ask me, you know, some good things, some not so great things, but we'll see when the device is in our hands. That's <laughs> so true. there's going to be sometime in 2024, perhaps. So yes. it's a long way. When you're sitting by yourself, what what do you think about? What do you think about where this technology and where, where AI is going? Mm-hmm. And do you see any potential problems with that? Um, so... <laughs> what, it's a very what, philosophical question. Yeah, yeah no, 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 no. It's, it's, it's a really good question. Um, so one of my really 
big problems at the moment is that I have very little thinking time <laughs> uh, to myself. It, it's very yeah. difficult these days. Uh, in fact, I, I actually value um, particularly my downtime uh, times, um, particularly, you know, um, uh, school holidays or, you know, whatever holidays we, we get to get. Um, um, we, we're lucky enough we have, a, we have a house in Philip Island. Mm. And so oh, that's beautiful. my yes. my go-away place and thinking space. Mm. Uh, when I get there, I uh, usually don't even bring my computer. Sometimes I do, but most of the time I don't. Um, and, and I try to do, again, um, primarily because of the things I do, lots of the computer science research I do has very human aspects to it. Mm. I try to think very deeply about... Um, the human side of the problems that I like to um, uh, attack. Mm. Um, very often as, um, you know, uh, computer scientists or engineers, we're always about the technicals. And that's important because if you don't solve the technical problems, things don't happen. But very often we get distracted by the fact that, you know, a normal person is, at the end of the day, is going to use a device or use a piece of software. And mm. so that's a very different aspect that work that gets lost in translation very mm. often so the user experience right um and so as i said that, that that's one of the reasons why i ended up doing work that cuts across that user experience side and the ai side because i like to think about both feedback um, feedback right and yeah exactly so as an example what, what one thing that many people don't realize there's lots of ai going on on our phone where we use the virtual keyboard. Mm. Yes. Mm. Um, so the research behind it is fascinating because it's not just about having a good keyboard or a good, you know, uh, feeling of pressure. Typing There's experience. Typing mm. experience. And that typing experience is actually aided by machine learning algorithms that correct the way you type. Mm. Right? And I realize this, like every time you're at the website, that dialog box appears like, hi, I'm a bot, how can I help you? Is that That's machine learning as well. Um, some of these systems don't even use machine learning. They're, they're simpler than Is that. Is that just a bot? It, it's yeah. Very often it's a scripted bot. But more and more of these are going to be replaced by ChatGPT, yeah, very much yes. right type stuff. Yes. Do you think it's important that we as a society should take a step back from technology every now and again? Mm. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's important. I think um, I think it'd be really important as a society to develop some form of balance. Mm. Um, and, and you know, you might find it ironic <laughs> coming from a computer <laughs> yeah, scientist. Yeah. But as I said, I, I'm a very specific breed of computer scientist who's always worked with people in in the arts and designing mm. humanities. So um, I've always been exposed to the other side, and, and I try to think about how to balance all this. So we have a very specific approach to all this in our family as well. And, you know, when I talk to my friends and my colleagues, etc., um, I, I, I like for people to consider always the outside perspective of how these things are used. Mm. So it, I think it's quite important that we have a healthy balance, you know, use technology, yeah. but then remember, you know, there's a real world out there that you got to care about. Yes, yeah. um, uh, you know, it, it's all about balance, I think. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's important to, to, you know, be out there and, you know, out and in Actually interacting and with interacting people. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and all that. 
but of course, um, you know, it, we shouldn't also stop progress. Mm. Uh, you know, much as you know, doing this podcast together is great. Yeah. Now there are situations where you might do that online, mm. right? Because you have um, a guest from the US, mm. maybe. Mm. Right. The fact that you can do that is still a great thing, right? Mm. Should, uh, shouldn't stop you. So I think it's all about balance and being smart about, you know, how do we prioritize doing things in a certain way when we can and doing things in a different way when we cannot. That's an interesting question. <clears throat> can someone make their own AI? And if they can, would social manipulation would be a possibility then? What do you mean by making your own AI? It's a very loaded question. Like, can someone make their own chat GBT, like an evil version of it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you definitely can. Um, the issue with that is mostly, I mean, resourcing. Um, so th there's enough public research right now that um, you could be able to leverage uh, work on GPT and other models like GPT. There's many others, right? Uh, Facebook, uh, for instance, is contributed in the public domain, a very big, uh, large language model called Llama. Hmm. Um, and there's others uh, by Google and, you know, the usual suspects, right? Hmm. So you could grab this and, and then customize and do your own thing and make it as good or evil as you want. Um, it, it's, it's mostly down to um, resourcing. Sure. So training these models uh, needs to run on a whole bunch of GPUs and Ooh. that's not cheap. That's uh, very expensive. In fact, one of the criticism about these models is precisely that uh, they are uh, so expensive to run that effectively they generate uh, an elite uh, of uh, very few people who can train them uh, hmm. because it's so expensive, right? So you either possess the GPUs in-house or you sure. need to go to the cloud and train um, using the cloud model, services, yes. but that's even more expensive. Mm -hmm. So realistically, creating a, a GPT-like model from scratch, it's It'd prohibitively expensive. But what you can do is you can grab some of those and customize. So that's still expensive, but more doable. Um, and, you know, at a technical level, if you have people who are proficient, it's not that hard. It's I'm, doable. I wasn't talking about individuals. I was talking about like an organization or even a country oh, yeah. that wants to wage a war. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, much more likely because they, they would it? have the resources. How would they do it though? What do you mean? But how uh, would they do it? They if um, they want to socially manipulate a country, how would how would they do it? Oh, with AI. Yeah. Well, uh, should I say that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to give people ideas. No, that's true. That's true. Instagram, TikTok, do you reckon? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the usual suspects, right? I mean, governments throughout ages and ages, they've been manipulating public opinion propaganda. anyway, mm -hmm. using propaganda. Then, you know, uh, using that propaganda on social media by artificially generating fake news. Okay, mm. let's leave it at that. <laughs> I think it's pretty doable mm. yeah so and of course a country would have resources that an individual wouldn't have absolutely yeah so yeah you definitely can so as i said we're entering the cat is out of the bag so we're entering very interesting times um yeah bad actors whether they be governments or 
you know, a small clique of bad actors. Uh, doesn't matter. So long as you have the resources, you can try. Does that scare you at all? Yeah, it's 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 dangerous, obviously. But as you said, cat is out of the bag. Yeah, cat is out of the bag. I mean, and this is human history, right? I mean, we've been playing, um, you know, uh, with power. Gu- guards and thieves. Yes, yeah, forever. Yes, right? You're right. I mean, it's just different mm. ways of playing guards and thieves. Uh, we we used to say this. Um, I mean, go back to the early 1900s, right? When when press, uh, mass media, sort of started. To really pushing going to prime, pushing out yes. with radio. Mm. I mean, it was the same, no? Mm. Um, there wasn't mass radio before then. True. And then mass radio came and then mass propaganda came with that. It, it's a different declination of that. Elon Musk just got approval for his human trials for Neuralink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where do you see that going? With AI and all this all going on? Yeah, I, I would... Definitely That's never, ever allow anyone to push stuff in my brain. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't too. But imagine imagine like even 10 or 20 human beings with that much capability in mm. in them. Where do you see that? Um, I think so. Again, full disclosure, I, I've done some research in um, um, with those EEG headsets. Um, you know, it was vastly around uh, meshing up, uh, you know, reading emotions um, of users in augmented reality, right? Uh, so a different context. Um, so some of the research is, once again, a little bit hyped. Um, we're not at the point where we can effectively do what people think we can do. Hmm. But we've also made considerable strides. Um, so it was a paper that came out probably about a month ago in nature it was really interesting um they got someone to think about a concept right Mm -hmm. so told them think about a church and then they read that through the headset and then they spit it out a 3d church using generative ai Ooh. So that's pretty scary, right? It's mm. a it's a visualization exercise. Basically, that's what you you're how because humans think with pictures and you know images, mm. and now what you're saying is I can basically make a video of my dream, what I had last night. Yeah, it, it's it's potentially very very loose, right? So mm. the the three D church uh, that I generated is quite you know sketchy and it doesn't quite match. But imagine uh, what that'd be like in ten years. Oh, of course, right. Mm. So it, it's pretty clear. It's it's a trajectory we're on. Yes. Um, so as I said, it's much better than it used to be. It's not what people think. You know, people think that you know Elon Musk's gadget gadget is able to slip things in her brain. Blah blah blah. So no, and you know Elon Musk. <laughs> I like Elon Musk because life would be boring without, without him. Without him, 100%. Um, uh, so some of the stuff that you hear from him is quite crazy at times. And um, he has a bit of a track record as well, much as Tesla obviously has been really important. Uh, but, um, I mean, the internet doesn't lie. If you go back and look at um, his statements about how easy uh, it was going to be solving autonomous driving <laughs> just a few years ago. Mm. Obviously, we're not there yet. Um, so he, he has, of course, did this sort of attitude of uh, making many Bold things statements. very sensational. Mm. Yeah, mm. And, you know, uh, he was behind 
uh, spurring up uh, OpenAI as well, right? So, and, you know, the, the whole concept was that, you know, AI was going to destroy us, so we better create a foundation. And then he tried to control that, <laughs> and the board kicked him out. <laughs> and then he started whinging about it when OpenAI started to be profitable. Mm. <laughs> and then he bought out Twitter. <laughs> so, you know, is is a character, uh, for sure. But um, Makes yeah. things interesting. Yeah, yeah, it does. And, you know, without any doubt, it tries to uh, create companies and teams that do very out there things like SpaceX as well and so on. So um, there's a little bit of cult of personality about him uh, because of that. But what many people don't realize is that as well, um, he has amazing teams around him in those companies that really make that the companies things. work. That, mm. And... In fact, there's been a recent book um, uh, of some of those people who actually criticize him heavily, basically saying that Tesla managed to push out that work despite him, not because of him. So it was mm. a massive hindrance and um, that the high level leaders in Tesla had to sort of learn to manage up <laughs> uh, because it'd be very invasive mm. at times and very problematic about some decisions, but they sort of develop mechanisms to quarantine their own CEO mm. almost. Mm. Uh, it was very interesting. Um, yeah, he is certainly a very big personality. So, Do you see a taking over jobs in the next five to ten years? What jobs would that be? Oh, AI taking up uh, jobs. those jobs. Um, so I, I think it's going to be vastly jobs that can already be automated now. Mm. Um, so the way that, that I see this again, who knows if I'll be right or not, but the way that I see it is that a small number of jobs will completely go, but pretty much the overarching majority of jobs will change. Right. Mm. So what I mean by that is some jobs that are very mechanic, um, yeah, will be automated. Right. So again, think about JGPT even just now. They do a very good job at spitting out the information that already exists. True. So jobs where that's the only thing you're doing. Informative jobs. Yeah. Basically. Um, think about some Nutritionists. assistant lawyer who, mm. who doesn't mm. build a case, but mm -hmm. they only go there and source out the information. JGPT can do that better mm. as of today. And it's free. And it's free. Well, free. Uh, I mean, they'll, they'll become a service yeah, they would. if they customize mm. it. But nevertheless, much cheaper than having an army of clerks who just spend days searching for information, right? Um, but on the other end, so staying in the sort of low domain, um, the lawyer who builds the case doesn't just retrieve information. Mm. So for them, that's going to become a tool mm. uh, that they're going to be leveraging where they can go, okay, how are we going to build our case? case? Because that's much more conceptual than mm. just retrieving the information, sure. right? Building a complex uh, argument thinking. in the law mm. requires, you know, reasoning capabilities that are, you know, very sophisticated. Mm. Um, so, but that will change, <clears throat> right? Because now you're going to have the, the co-pilot, right? Uh, the law co-pilot. Mm. And, and, and the same could apply to mostly any job you can think of, mm. right? So very menial mechanical duties are going to be automated because it's just about summarization, mm. right? Th these would go. Everything else that is conceptual is not going to go. 
but it, it will have to learn using those tools. Mm. So again, going back to um, digital content creation, um, I remember the times where Photoshop came into its prime. Mm. My artist friends, you know, lost their minds, some of them. They said, oh, what the hell is this? You know, it's going to mm. kill our art and, you know, we're not going to use paper anymore. Mm. What do you mean by that? Blah, blah, blah. You know, fast forward uh, two decades, mm. yeah. all of them use it. It's created more jobs <laughs> then it and has, it's transformed it's, their jobs. Yeah. So it, it just comes in waves. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I mean... A much older wave was calculators, uh, you know, mm. and, and the outrage the mathematicians had about, oh, you know, the kids are not going to use, you know, these tables on paper for or square abacus. roots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or the abacus. Yeah. I, I remember, you know, yeah. my maths teacher going, oh, th this crap calculator, you know, what do you mean? You're not going to look up the sine and cosine in, oh, in a paper-based table. <laughs> Crazy and times. Look, but look where we are right now. Yeah, no, here we are, right? It's part of we survive. Life. Yeah. Man, you know what, Fabio, this has <laughs> been an awesome podcast. Most of stuff. It's been very informative. Yeah, very informative. Most of the stuff I didn't catch on to it because we're not that technical of people, but uh, we've had an amazing ride with you. So uh, we really appreciate you coming here and thank you so much. Dan, if you have, if you, if I have any uh, other questions, we can wrap this up, man. No, this has been a great podcast. Thank you for coming and taking the time to be with us today. That's all right. My pleasure. Thank you so much. All right, let's wrap this up, Dan.